You are listening to the Sun Grove Podcast. For more information, please visit our website at sungrove.org. I hope you had a wonderful Thanksgiving. I got to let you know that I am thankful to God for you. I'm thankful to God for uh, this church and the new work that he's just doing in and through us. It's exciting. I'm thankful to Matt Lingo. Will you give it up? He preached last weekend. Just him and, and his team. It, it is not an easy thing to lead worship and preach. There, it's almost like changing hats. It's a different thing. And and he just, I loved it. Matt's heart just came through as he just shared so much about an unchanging God. And and you know, most of the songs we sang this morning are originals from our team. And just what a great work they've done in putting together that unchanging. EP that you could download through iTunes or wherever you buy music, and it's just a, a great way to worship God, and, and just what a beautiful thing, you know, that Matt's just singing that, that last song, there's, there's no other name, just no other name than Jesus, and that's why we're here, and, and maybe you're here today and you don't know about Jesus, you're like, I, I'm here, I'm checking it out, but I'm not sold in yet, I'm not, I don't know about Jesus, and I just want to say, if you, that's you, if this is your first time, if you're searching this is the best place you can be to explore God and just understand the reality of a God who loves you, the reality of a God who can really make a difference in your life, both now and in your future. And just want to say welcome if that's you. Last weekend, Heather and I were gone. We were at a family life marriage uh, retreat called The Weekend to Remember. And I don't know about you, but we've been married over 20 years. And uh, when you've been married over 20 years, you kind of keep learning new ways to be faithful to your marriage vows. Because when you're young and you get married, you just say things like, for better or for worse, and sickness and health, or richer or poor, right? You, you just say those things, but you don't really know what they mean. And then you get married, you put a little marriage time under your belt, and all of a sudden you're like, for better or for worse, you're like, well, time out. How much worse? <laughs> right, like, like there's worse, and then there's like way worse, right? Like, well, how much? You know, uh, you know sickness and health, well, how, how sick? Like a cold or like, like really sick? Like how sick do we, you know, have to learn again how to continue to be faithful to marriage values? You say, richer or poor? And most of you say, well, what's rich? Right? And then you go on a mission trip and you go to a place like Zimbabwe, you go to a place like India, and you realize that's what poor really is. And you come back and realize just how blessed we are and how we make things that are not big things, we make them big things, and there's a very evil one, a real evil one who wants to attack things like marriage. And maybe you're a young person, you're saying, hey, I'm not married yet. I'm exploring the idea, you know, maybe someday I'm not sold out on it, I'm thinking I haven't found that person yet, or I'm not even sure if I want to, and maybe you're here and you're, you have a boyfriend or a girlfriend, and you're like, hey, we've been together, but I'm not sure about this whole marriage idea. And what I want to challenge you today with is that God is so faithful to us, and he gives his example of his life to us as a picture of his love, faithful, unchanging commitment to us. He loves you. That cannot change. It does not change. He is the faithful one. Now, you and I, we're constantly exploring again and again and again, what does it mean to be faithful? Faithfulness is not just a track record you keep. Faithful is not a destination you get. Faithfulness is something that when you've been unfaithful, when you've stepped out of line, when you've begun to look in other areas, faithful is where you keep coming back to. And God says, I am the constant faithful one, but I'm drawing you back to me. Will you just do me a favor for a moment? Will you just bow your heads and ask God just on the inside in your heart to say, God, speak to me today. 
God, I believe that right now there are many of us in this room who understand what it's like to have a very real evil one who will be the accuser. There's a very real evil one who doesn't want us to hear what you have to say to us today. So God, we're asking for that voice to be gone and we're asking for your voice to fill it in. That God, we would hear from you and your word. We understand that sermons are one of the ways that you speak directly to us. So we want to listen in Jesus' name. Amen. If I took a survey today of how many of you would have built your life on, like a, on faith or on a religious conviction, some of you in this room would say, yeah, I have, or my family of origin did. If you've kind of looked at how you've built your life, your family, and other things, you might say, yeah, I have. Some of you in this room are like, no, I haven't. I might hope to in the future, but, but I don't know. I mean, I just really haven't done that on religion or on faith. If you look at your past, I want to ask you this question. Not your future, but if you looked at your past, I want to ask, how would your past be different if you built it on a relationship with Jesus and following his word and his teachings? Think about it for a minute. Think of your past. How would your past be different if you built it on a relationship with Jesus and following his teachings? So uh, let me ask you in the marriage way, right? If you look at your past, how much better or worse would your past be? Probably better, and, and maybe for some of us, how much better, right? We look at our past and go, I made mistakes. I've, I wish I had laid a gr- good foundation. How much better? How much healthier? How much richer could my past have been if I had laid a foundation down built on the words and the person of Jesus Christ? That would be a firm foundation, and here's why you need this sermon. Your soul was created for an unchanging anchor, That solid and trustworthy anchor is almighty God. That's what it is. But sometimes your soul is going to look around. Anytime you attach your soul to something else that changes, God is unchanging. But anytime you attach your soul to something that is changing, you increase the emptiness of your soul. And for years, many of us in this room have thrown our anchor out and we've attached it to things that change. And then we find a disillusionment with, with life. We find a disillusionment when it comes to faithfulness. We find a disillusionment and an emptiness in life because changing things cannot satisfy the nature, the cry, the hunger of our soul. Only by anchoring to God in his glory again and again. And sometimes you wander away, so you anchor it back again to the unchanging, the firm foundation of Jesus Christ then will you be able to endure the storms of life and live out a lifetime of faithfulness. Only then. Jesus is teaching the people. He's, he's come out, he's teaching all these Jewish people who know what it's like to perform. They follow rules and regulations and they know what it's like to have a performance in life. And, and they're burdened right now. They're burdened down by the religious teaching of people who said, well, yeah, that's what the Bible said, but I gotta add some more. There's got to be some more man-made rules on top of that. And let me add some more rules. And they're just burdened down, and they're just into performance, and they don't know what a relationship with God would look like. And so Jesus comes along, and he's going to give his inaugural sermon, his opening sermon for his ministry on earth, talking about how God's kingdom comes to earth. What does it look like to live as people who live within the kingdom of Almighty God? What does that look like on earth? And if you have your Bible... Open with me to Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7. We'll begin with verse 24, but before we get there, I want to let you know something. Jesus' inaugural sermon, it starts at chapter 5. 
It goes chapter 5, chapter 6, chapter 7. It's the Sermon on the Mount. Maybe you've heard of that, but this is Jesus' opening inaugural sermon. And what we're going to do today is we're not going to look at the opener. We're going to look at the very end of that sermon. We're going to look at the wrap-up. We're going to look at the final statement because there's something that Jesus did after he explained all these things in chapter 5 and 6 and 7. At the end, he gave them one illustration that he wanted them to go away with, one thing that he wanted them to remember. And we're going to look at that together. Jesus says this in Matthew chapter 7, verse 24. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of who? Mine. So Jesus has just gone for three chapters. Chapter 7, chapter, it's recorded. Chapter 7, chapter uh, 5, 6, and now 7. He gets near the end. So, therefore, whoever hears these words of mine and puts them into what? Into practice. Okay, so not, there's not just hearing like, yeah, I got you, I heard you. No, but it's hearing and putting it into practice is like a wise man who built this house on the rock. And the rain came down and streams rose and the winds blew and beat against the house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who builds his house on sand. And the rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew against that house, and it fell with a great crash. Jesus leaves them with a final illustration. He knows that people who would have ears to hear and understand what he's talking about are going to go away remembering this little story that he told. So he tells them, listen, if you hear these words and you actually put them into practice, you're going to lay a best life foundation. That's what you're going to do. You're going to build on the right foundation, an unchanging foundation, a solid foundation. And what I want you to understand, Jesus describes this foundation, this rock. And the rock is the unchanging word of God. And some of you are like, well, wait a minute, Dave. You say unchanging word of God, but I just got to let you know, my Bible over the years has kind of changed. You say unchanging word of God, but it seems like it changes. And what I want to remind you that is this, that the unchanging word of God are the words of God, and they are the words of the scripture, but the scripture is ancient. It's manuscripts. It's bits and pieces of manuscripts and sometimes fuller manuscripts, and there have been incredible studies to identify the most reliable, the consistent texts. And those are undeniable, but you got to realize they were written in Greek and Aramaic and Hebrew, and those are ancient languages. They're dead languages. You can't speak Koine Greek in Greece today because they'd be like, I have no idea what you're saying. It's like if you spoke really ancient Anglo-Saxon English to me, I'd be like, you lost me. I have no idea what you're talking about. It's like if you're talking with your grandkid and they say things and you have to Google them because you don't understand what they just said, Right? See, we, you just wouldn't get it. But what happens is we take those dead languages, those ancient languages, and we transfer them into English. But English is a living language, isn't it? It changes all the time. That's why you're like, I don't know what that meant. I don't know what SMH means. <laughs> so you have to Google it. What, what did they say? They said something SMH. I don't know. That means shake my head. Okay? But you didn't know that. You know, and there's certain words, literally, if you took an old Bible, like maybe it was your grandparents' Bible, if you took that thing out and it was an ancient King James Version and you were to look at that and you would be lost within minutes because you don't know why they put these and thous everywhere. And there's some words in there that now are bad words. Like you don't use those words. You don't call people those words. They were normal words back then, but they have other meanings now. You don't use those words. Why? Because English changes. 
It's an always changing language. So the dynamic equivalent of the ancient word of God is carried on and translated into a changing English language. But you got to understand the principles, the rock, the unchanging nature is the word of God. So Jesus comes along. He begins to speak. And he begins to give this inaugural address called the Sermon on the Mount. If you've ever studied the Sermon on the Mount, you'll find what a lot of scholars have found. And this is what they found, that the Sermon on the Mount, its moral and ethical standard is so high that no one can perfectly accomplish it in his or her own power. See, they were used to the Old Testament law. It seemed pretty black and white to them. Jesus comes along and gives the heart behind the law. And he begins to describe, here's what the law says, but the kingdom of God is like this. And it seemed like so much higher because it preserves the heart, not just the action of the law, but it preserves the heart of the law. And people were sitting there and they're listening to Jesus and their minds are blown. And they're, they're like, are you kidding me? There, that is so much higher. There is no way that that is possible. And I think that's exactly the point. That without God, you cannot accomplish that in your own power. But how many of you and I are trying, right? You're running, you're striving, and then you're stacking up your track record against God's perfect standard, and you're like, I keep falling short. God's saying, you can't do it without me. There's a foundation that must be laid. There's something else that you need. And the people, they walk away from this teaching, three chapters worth, they walk away and their minds are blown because Jesus teaches as one who has authority. You know why Jesus teaches as one who has authority? Because all authority on heaven and earth and under the earth has been given to the name of Jesus. He has all the authority. He is God. That's why. And so they're blown away. They're like, he just reflected the heart of God to us. Do you know why? Because he's God. Become flesh with a heart for his people. Let me give you some truths about life. If you're taking notes today on your outline, first one is this. You will always be in over your head. You're always going to be in over your head. Some of you, you know, you think, well, the more I get to walk with Christ, the more that I, I learn faithfulness in God, then, then I'll finally, I won't be in over my head anymore. I'll arrive. And maybe you look at other people and you're like, it's like they've arrived. Like, they got it together. Like, they kind of know where stuff is and how to get there, and they've laid a good foundation in their life, and you think you're going to arrive. But i got to tell you something. You're always going to be in over your head. With God, you and I are always going to be in over our head, and here's why. There are times that God wants in your life and my life, as you walk more closely with him, an all-powerful, unchanging God is going to draw you and me to go deeper He's not going to say, you're good enough, you've arrived. He's going to say, come deeper. He's going to say, trust me more. Watch me be faithful to you in amazing ways. You need to understand deeper that I am your source. The world and people and relationships and stuff is not your source. I'm your source. And he's going to draw you deeper and deeper. And the more that you walk in him and believe in what he is able to do, you will find, you know what, time and again, I'm going to be in over my head when it comes to God. Why? Because he's God. We're mortal. But he's drawing us in relationship. And there'll be times in your life where you look back and you're like, man, that took faith to be obedient to the word of God. And you look back and you'll be like, but that was like, that's easy now. Like I'm so over, like that was easy. But in the moment it was really hard. Maybe for you, it was that principle of Jesus that said it's better to give than receive. And the first time that you gave or you decided I'm gonna tithe, you wrote that check and you were like, oh my gosh, like how is this gonna happen? Is, is God gonna be faithful? 
And then you watch him be faithful and you realize, oh my goodness, God can do more with, with you know, taking 10% and he can do more in my life with 90% than I was able to do with 100. And you watch and see how God is faithful and how he meets your need, that he is your source. And you go, that's easy now for me. It's easy because I've trusted. I've learned that God is my source. And so you've grown. You've built spiritual muscle. But there are some other ways now down the road that God's going, well, it's great. You got that down. But I want you more and more to know in this new season of life, I am your source there too. I want to do some greater things in and through your life than you've ever done. Some of you look back at your life and you go, hey, I got a track record. I've maybe been in church a long time or I've done some good things or I used to be involved in serving in these ways. And God's going, that's great. But what have you done for me lately? He's going to say, I have more for you to do. You're not retired. You're not done. You're not finished. You haven't given these things away and said, that's a, a young person's job now. No, God is saying, I want to do more in and through you. You might be a young person and think, well, I could never until I get to a certain point. And God's going, uh-uh. I want to draw you deeper. I want you to know that I can do amazing things in and through you right now. You're not the church of the future. You're the church of right now. And God wants to use you and your skills and your life, even though you don't think you've arrived. And the good news is you're always going to be in over your head with God. But we have a problem. The problem is this, that you think that you can control life to your advantage. For some of you, God's like, God's like the secret sauce. He's like, well, I'll live my life and lay my foundation down however I want to, but I've got God, and God's supposed to bless me. So God, a guy, I'm leveraging God to make my life better. And you're just trying to cause life to work to your advantage. You're trying to cause it. You're trying to say, I can control it. Jesus tells this story. He tells a story about these guys who build on foundations and that a storm comes. By the way, how many of you yesterday could uh, stop the storm from coming in? Yeah, none of us, right? How many of you could keep it around? You could call it back. Come on back. It's not coming back, right? You can't do it. And you see that, but the, you know, the storms come and, and nobody escapes them. The, the rain falls on the righteous person, the unrighteous person. And it's interesting because when huge, massive storms or things go crazy on our planet, people used to call that an act of God, right? Because they're saying, listen, we couldn't stop it we didn't have any idea maybe it was coming, or maybe we did, but we still couldn't stop it. We couldn't call it back. And when those big things happened, they said that was disadvantageous to us. It was not good. It prohibited our building. It prohibited what we were doing. And this thing came, and we call it an act of God because it's kind of unexplainable. It's not controllable by humanity. And so we would call it this act of God. But there's an interesting point in that phrase that people used to call these things an act of God because it's almost like we got to blame it on somebody right? We, we, we couldn't control it, so it's got to come from somewhere else. It's got to be an act of God. But after a while in our culture, they basically just said, you know what? Hey, um, we can't use the word God anymore, apparently. And uh, so we got to call it something different. And we got to call it a natural disaster, right? But what happens at first? You think of the idea, act of God, you think of it with a storm or a hurricane or an earthquake or a volcano blowing up or just a sinkhole in the ground that takes down a house and you're like, an act of God. But I gotta suggest to you that that's what you and I do with our hurt and with tragedy and with loss and with our pain. We begin to say it's an act of God. 
We couldn't stop it. It came on uncontrollably. We can't limit it. Why did this horrible thing happen? Why did this fall apart? Why this house that I was building? Why did it come tumbling down? Don't, what do you do? You call that an act of God. There's a, an element almost of blame to it, right? The difference is the foundation. Let me ask you, when you look at your past, would you say that your past was founded as an act of God? that it was built on his principles, on his word, it was a stable foundation? Or would you say, my past is a natural disaster? Right? Maybe you built it on culture and on the world's wisdom and on the way to do it and what you thought was right, but you look back and you go, it was a natural disaster. I did it the natural way, the world's way. I didn't build on the words and following the words of Jesus. I built it on my own reasoning. I built it on the best advice I could find out there in the world. Because listen, I read a really good article and I thought that it helped me understand me. And so you just tell people, hey, that's just the way I am. I don't have to change. And God's going, I want to draw you deeper. I want to draw you closer. Don't just say, sorry, that's the way I am. God's saying, repent, come back to me, learn faithfulness again. What does that look like? Sometimes people look at their lives and they say, you know what? It was built on the word of God and he helped me through a storm. It didn't mean the storm didn't hurt. Didn't mean it didn't blow. Didn't mean it went on for a long time, but God got me through it. He helped me persevere. He helped me endure what I thought I couldn't endure. I'm in over my head, and God was there. He's my foundation. And other people say it was a natural disaster. That thing came through, and I had nothing to stand on. I don't even know who God is. And it just ripped my life apart. And now they're, they're in a sinkhole of bitterness and loss and pain, and they can't seem to get out. And God wants to draw you and me out He doesn't want you and I to have a house that underneath the house it's built on human effort and human principles and human reasoning. It's not what he wants. He wants a house built on his unchanging, solid word and our obedience to it. So Jesus tells a story. That's what he does, right? Jesus, you know, he he doesn't tell a joke. Jesus didn't say, well, there's a wise guy and a fool and they walk into a bar. That's not what he said, right? He basically said there's a wise man and there's a fool and they walk into a storm. They both try to build some stuff, but they they walk into a storm, and then Jesus talks about the nature of that storm. And and it's so interesting that, that you say, how do you know if it's a wise person or a fool? And we'd have to say the results, right? The results of the storm. But people always think, they can stand when they when they can't. Uh, let me uh, hey Matthew, go back to that cannery row photo, if you would, for me. So Heather and I went down to Monterey. You guys have been there, right? We, our hotel was like right here on Canary Row, which is very fun because the conference was up at the Hyatt, which is by the golf course, and we just had a great weekend, right? Well, up the road from this a little bit is a place where people were standing on a seawall, and, uh, and you got to know the waves this weekend were unbelievable, especially for Monterey because it's kind of shielded. It's kind of shelter, right? So here's a wave. I want to show you this wave photo. This is a wave. There's a rock way out there, and this is a massive, huge, I'm estimating probably 25-foot face. It's huge. Coming in, and I know my waves. I'm a surfer. I'm a bodyboarder. I know what's up. Literally, if this wave came through and I was out there with other surfers, all of us would have got cleaned up. This wave would have come through and cleaned up the field because all of us would have got caught inside looking at the other waves, and all of a sudden, this massive wave comes through and would just wipe you out. You would not want to be out on that rock. You would die, right? So... 
what happens is these people are standing on a seawall, and Heather and I pulled the car up, and we're looking at the waves. It's beautiful out there. And so we get out of the car. I've got my camera. We go down by like the seawall, and I judge it. You know, I look at the wave coming in. I wait till the next wave is going to be coming in. And I look over. And I'm like, I'm not standing here. And I back off the seawall. And I look around. There's all this water on the ground. There's a reason for that, right? And it's not, it had been raining, so let's be fair. It could just look like puddles, right? But we get out, and there's these four people. They're obviously kind of tourists, and, and they're out on the, the rock wall, and they're, they're older. They're just like, this is beautiful, right? And then next to them, there's a, there's a little man, and he's, he's holding his, like, three-year-old boy. And we're like, oh, that is sketchy. And then there's two, like, you know, young adult girls. And they're all standing out there while we back off. And I'm telling you, this wave came in, and it hit that wall, and it threw so much water up in the air. And they hear the sound, and all of them went... All they did, that's all they did, they just turned around. Like, I think we're going to get splashed, and they had no idea. We're watching, literally swimming pools full of water went up in the air and came down and drenched these people. I mean, like, they were bent over like this, and they were soaked all the way through on the front, not just the back. I mean, like, their hair is down, they were so soaked. Heather and I were scared because we thought they were going to get swept off. Like, that man with his little boy is going to get swept off into the ocean. It was, like, really scary. And then I wish I had my iPhone out and was videotaping it because it was really funny, okay? Like that would have made good video. Well, they come down off the wall. They didn't get swept in the sea, but let me tell you, it was close. Most people, they start getting soaked like that. They step, and as soon as you lose your footing, you're out into the sea. Why? Because you thought the foundation you were standing on was firm, but it wasn't. And some of you in life, you're building a foundation based on the world but you're hoping it's going to be a solid rock. And God is saying, come back to me. Come back to me. He wants you to know that you're always going to be in over your head, and he wants you to know that you're going to try to control life to your advantage, and God doesn't want to just be your advantage. He wants to be your everything. Number three on your outline, we got to look at this story. Jesus tells this story, people go away. So number three on your outline is that the houses are the same, right? As far as Jesus tells us, we don't know anything about the houses. We don't know anything about where the houses are located. And so for all intents and purposes, these guys were both pretty good builders. For all intents and purposes, these houses look the same. And so Jesus tells a story about two houses. Now, I'm going to let you know this is not the story of the three little pigs. And they're houses of wood or of straw or of brick, right? And how many of you are familiar with this story, right? Three little pigs, right, okay. Now, I got to let you know that I researched this, and the Disney story cleaned up the real story quite a bit. What happens is the wolf comes, and he wants to blow down the houses, and he's going to come, and he's going to blow down the first two weak sauce houses, the house made of straw, the house made of, and in the Disney story, the pigs run away and hide with their brother in the brick house. In the real story, the wolf eats the pig at the straw house. He eats the pig at the stick house, okay? Then the wolf tries to blow down the brick house, and he can't blow it down, so he climbs up on the roof, right? He starts to go down the chimney, but the smart pig inside that house is already boiling a hot pot of water, and as the wolf comes down, he goes in that pot, and the pig, I don't know how he does it, but he grabs with his cloven hoof, he grabs the lid, <laughs> and he throws it on top of that, and he boils the, the wolf, and he eats the wolf. I gotta tell you, this is a sick, creepy story. <laughs> You should be afraid of pigs. That piggy bank, it ain't giving it back. I'm just saying, right? As far as we know, if that's the story, right? This is not that story. Jesus tells a story about three, you know, about a couple houses. This is not the, the story. That's not what he's telling. Jesus tells about two guys who build a house, and the houses, for all intents and purposes, are the same. You can't tell the foundation until the storm comes. You have no idea what it is. 
But here's the trouble. You and I look around at people and we judge them from the outside. And we can't tell what the foundation is. And there's an enemy who comes along and whispers to you. He says, look, look at how healthy they seem. Look at them. They seem to have it all together. They seem to have arrived. They don't have any problems. Their bodies are strong. They're getting it. They're just having a great life. All this stuff, they're, they're painting the Instagram photo of a person's entire life, but you don't see the movie behind it, right? All you're seeing is the instant, the photo, and they're painting that, and the enemy is just saying, look, it looks like they have it all together. They're not in over their heads. Everything is to their advantage. And he's tempting you and I to build on a weak sauce foundation. Then what happens, right? The storm comes. And you and I were surprised. Whoa, it all came crumbling down. I had no idea it was that way for that person. I had no idea that that, that was just a shell. If, if anything was going to stay together, I thought it would be that or them, right? And then it came crumbling down. You're like, mind is blown. The foundation is not revealed until the storm happens. Listen, if you were to drive through most of the suburban areas in our area here, you would drive through and you see houses that for all intents and purposes are pretty much the same. Now, given there's always that neighbor who doesn't take care of their yard and they have like a bunch of nasty old cars or whatever out front, but for the most part, right, the houses, the apartments, the townhomes on the outside, they're going to look pretty much the same. You're not going to be able to tell the differences, but let me tell you, on the inside, God is telling you and God is telling me as people of the kingdom of God that on the inside of those similar looking houses, they are filled with hurting, hopeless, and empty people who need hope. You go to some place in the world where an act of God happens. There's an earthquake like in Haiti and all these houses are destroyed. And you say, oh my goodness, such destruction. But you don't realize that Jesus is saying, that's the picture in Elk Grove. They look fine on the outside, but on the inside, they've been shaken. And they need a firm, unchanging foundation. Listen, for some of you in this room, maybe that's your house. On the outside, it looks all good. On the outside, it looks like everything's fine. It looks like you got it together. In fact, you work hard to, to produce that image. But on the inside, you're hurting, you're broken, you're empty, you're frustrated. And God is saying, come to me. Come back to me. I love you. Come back to me. You know, sometimes you're trying to increase your foundation, right? And maybe shopping on Black Friday didn't increase your stability at all. Fun for a moment, maybe, right? And then all of a sudden you realize, ah, oh, the words of Jesus. It's better to give than receive. And you realize that sometimes receiving doesn't mean that you increase your foundation. So we realize the house is the same, right? But there's something else we got to realize, and that's that the storm is the same. And the storm is the same. Everybody faces storms. No one exempt from storms. But the storms reveal if your life is built on the unchanging word of God or in the empty words of self and the empty words of fame and the empty words of culture. It's going to reveal when the storm happens, you're going to reveal whether your foundation is firm or whether your foundation is sand. And so to build your house on the words of God, God the words of God requires a transfer of glory. There's got to be a transfer of glory. You and I are glory hounds. We naturally want all the glory ourselves. We want to brag about what we have and what we do. We want to show people that, that we seem to have that, that gets all together. And the truth is, God is saying, 
It's not about you. In fact, I think Matt said it well last week. Here's what I want you to say with me. Will you repeat this after me? Life is not about me and my comfort. All right. Talk about the second part, second half right here. It's about God and his glory. And you can say that, and on the inside you'd be like, yeah, I think that's probably wise, but on the inside you're like, I kind of like glory. I kind of want it to be about me. I, I kind of think that I can work life to my advantage. I, I think that I could do this. And that's the lure that Jesus tells this story for those who would have ears to hear, for those who would be wise. He's saying, listen, there's got to be a transfer of glory. There's got to be a point where you say, I'm going to die to myself. Do I want it? Yes. But I got to die to myself and I got to say, God, I'm going to do it for your kingdom, for your glory. God, I'm going to do it not for my glory, but I'm going to do it unto you. I'm going to obey you, God. Not because I always feel like I want to obey. I'm going to obey you as worship. When I'm saying no to that, I'm saying yes to worshiping you. It's an act of worship. And I'm transferring glory. Instead of me experiencing glory, God, we're going to give it to you. It's for you. It's for your kingdom. It's dying to your way of doing things and becoming obedient to doing things God's way. Jesus tells a story about two houses. He tells a story about two foundations. He tells a story about the rock. Let me ask you a question. Did you build the rock? No, it was already there, right? Did the builder build the rock? No, it was already there. This is where they put their house. They put it on the rock or on the sand, right? Did you build the sand? No, but you know, basically it's already there. Let me ask you a question. Did you save yourself? No. It was Jesus' work on the cross giving his blood to satisfy the righteous wrath of God against our sin and instead us receiving the righteousness of God. Did you build the foundation? No, it was already there. Jesus has laid down the foundation. But what happens sometimes is that Jesus lays down the foundation, but then you and I come across and we're like, well, God, I'll finish it. I'll finish the foundation. And you start to try to look to performance again to satisfy a God. But he's saying, listen, I already did the work. In fact, Paul said it this way to the church in Galatia. They were Jewish people who were trying to go back to following all the Judaism as a means by which being above everybody else to please God more. And he says, listen, you're Christians. You have new life in Christ. And this is what he says in Galatians chapter 3, verse 1. You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Before your very eyes, Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified. I would like to learn just one thing from you. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law? The answer is no, right? Or by believing what you heard? The answer is yes. Are you so foolish after beginning by means of the Spirit? Are you now trying to finish by means of the flesh? The enemy wants to convince you that you have to perform for the finish. that you're only going to arrive if you perform. But Paul says it this way in Philippians 1, 6, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Here's what he's saying. You've got to transfer glory. Your job, my job, is to transfer glory. God, I'm going to do things your way. I'm going to take humility as my friend. I'm going to obey. And as I obey God, you become the builder. You become the finisher. Listen, when you surrender, God becomes the builder. Do you ever feel behind? You ever feel behind in life? 
like, you're like, I just had some days off and I didn't catch up. Anybody else there with me? Right? You feel behind in life? Right, me too. So you ever feel behind, right? Sometimes you and I are striving to build and we are, we are striving in life. It's exhausting. And most times when you and I are striving, we're actually running, running ahead of God, trying to increase the stability of our life. We're trying to run ahead of God to increase the advantage when we don't realize that running to God is the advantage. Running to God is the foundation. He is the source. And most times we run on our own and run to other things to try to be our source in life. Sometimes you believe that God laid the foundation, but now it's up to you to make it all happen. No, he doesn't want you to strive. He wants you to be a son or daughter of the Most High God, whom he loves and in whom he is well-pleased. See, if I said, with whom he is well-pleased, that would deal with performance, right? If he's pleased with you, it's because you've done good stuff and you're, you're performing. But that's not what, Jesus, what God speaks at the baptism of Jesus in terms of the identity of the believer, the priesthood of the saints. In that moment, he basically is saying, in whom I am well-pleased. He's pleased in who you are. He's been the one to deliver all the faithfulness that's needed. Faithfulness becomes a two-way street. That's how trust is built. That's what happens. We want to participate with the changes that God has been making. I'm reading a book called Rooted right now, and it's interesting because it talks about the journey of trust, and that's a two-way street. And the, the first one is that God is trustworthy. He's faithful to us. So what happens is we're afraid, right? But then we go, okay, God, I'm, I'm going to step out. I'm going to trust you. Thank you for that lane coming toward me. But I'm going to find out that, God, you're unchanging. You're steady. You're solid. Your stuff actually works, that you're good. Even when life is relentless, you're good. I'm going I'm to trust that. And so what happens is you and I choose to trust God in this unchanging word. But then the other lane is now that we trust that God has laid the foundation that we can only be saved through what Christ did on the cross. Once we trust what he did, okay, God, I can trust that now we want to be good stewards of what he's given us. Our time, our treasure, our talents, our abilities, and all these ways we go, now, God, I'm going to be a good steward. So in my life, because I already trusted what you did, in my life now, I'm going to be a good steward of how I leverage my time. I'm going to be a good steward of how I leverage my resources. God, I'm going to be a good steward. And so what happens is it's a two-way street that he's trustworthy, but now we're being good stewards of what he's given to us. It's not about me. I die to myself. It's not about my glory, God. It's now about you and your glory. And guess what happens? That's good stewardship. And the goal of stewardship, right, is faithfulness. That over time, as you were saying, hey, God, I did it my way and I wrecked it, that over time we say, God, I'm going to be a good steward now of what you've given me. And over time, I'll build faithfulness. Faithfulness. God's looking for partners who will faithfully obey and follow him as he builds his kingdom through us here on earth. There's a guy in our church named Jack, and Jack wrote me an email, and, and he works at Dignity Health, and he, he, uh, during our spiritual warfare series, he was just really sensing that God wanted to do some stuff through him to provide some care packages for people who were uh, homeless people who've come through the emergency room. And so he felt like, I, we ought to do something for them, and I want to do it through my business, but, and then all of a sudden, the inside, he said, I was feeling this oppression. He said, it was like, it was almost like a voice was speaking going, who do you think you are? Why are you so special? 
And like all this intimidation, like you can't do that. That's never going to happen. Just be safe. Just stick to your foundation. Don't risk your job. Don't do anything. He's just, he's just feeling this weight. And he, he realized all of a sudden while he's in church, he realized that, you know what, I'm, I'm being spiritually oppressed. So he took a stand out loud and he, he said this. He, he wrote to me, quote, he said, he said, I said out loud, yes, I am special. I am a son of God. And I cry in happiness that the creator of the universe is my father and he loves me. Isn't that awesome? So out loud, he's by himself. He takes his stand, right? He fights back against that. He said this. Here's the result. He said, I've been able to lead a team of employees as part of our mission committee. We are raising funds to uh, to give bags with essentials to homeless patients who come through the emergency room. One of the most important pieces in the bag is a Bible. The one thing that brings hopeless people hope. Okay, I'm going to show you what it is. I think we got a picture up here. So he's been doing this. It's got socks, a water bottle, stuff. There's a Bible. Do you see that? There's all this other, this, you know, this care stuff in there, the hygiene type stuff. He's put together these things. He said, this is what's happened. And it's happened all through, all through uh, Dignity Health. He said, so far, we've raised enough money for 15 weeks of bags. And at 20 bags a week, that's 300 bags. Can you give it up for what God's doing in that? And Dignity Health... It's funding and helping the people there. One of the elements in there is a Bible. But who doesn't want that to happen? The evil one. Just say, who are you? Who makes you so special? Why do you think you have a firm enough foundation? Can you really trust that God's good for you, that God can do something? Just don't risk your job and your career and everything else. Don't risk your friendships. And you need to stand up and say, I'm special. And you need to be like, when you sense, like, I don't want to irritate that person, invite them to our Christmas Eve here. I'm going to say, irritate them. You say, I don't want to nag my friend. Nag them. Be that friend. Be a good enough friend to nag them to come on out for any of our Christmas series these next few weeks. Because there are losses and hurts. Sometimes you see people with hurt and you're just like, oh my goodness, like, this is maybe like the worst time, the wrong time. And I want to tell you, it's probably the best time. God's going to say, Be that annoying neighbor who invites them. Be that person who calls them when you feel like they should be left alone. Be that person who invites them because these are the storm opportunities where they learn about the hope of a foundation through Jesus Christ. So what's Jesus saying? Think at the end of this big sermon, he's saying, figure it out. So here's what he says. Figure it out. I think he's telling people like you and me, he's saying that foundation that you're trusting it's sand. It's like a bunch of sand falling out of my hand, right? That foundation, it's sand. That person you shouldn't be with, he or she, they're sand. They're just sand. The money that is never going to buy you enough security, it's just sand. You're storing it away for some day, but God's saying, I want to leverage a portion of that for my kingdom. And it's sand. I'm your source. I'm your security. Your business and your striving, you're wearing yourself out. It is sand. Don't miss the important things in life. The bitterness that you're holding against God for your wounds, it's sand. It's in the wrong place. You're blaming it as an act of God. It's a natural disaster. It's natural as part of life. Life is about loss. The righteous and the unrighteous both experience loss as a result of sin in our world. That's why Jesus says eventually he's going to destroy the whole world and we're going to start over in a place where there's no more tears or sorrow or dying or pain. 
We look forward to that day. The lies you believe about your worth, God's saying, let go of those. You're not a failure. You're not one who can't get it together. You are always going to be in over your head, but you have a father. You have not been orphaned. Those beliefs, you are, they are sand. The glory you seek when you brag about what you have and what you do, it's sand. And Jesus is saying, listen, participate with me. Let me come along and be the builder. Your job is to respond to the living, active words of God. And so some of you today are saying, God, today, today I want to make you my anchor. Will you bow your heads, close your eyes, just thinking about your own life. And here's what I want to do for this moment. Some of you, you're realizing uh, the starting place is I got to die to myself. I got to finally say yes to Jesus. I have to believe that what he did on the cross can pay for my sin, can wash me as clean as snow can forgive me of the most horrible, awful things I've ever done. But I have to surrender. God doesn't force my life from me. I just have to say, God, I'm going to receive a free gift from you of salvation in exchange for all my wrongdoing. And if that's you in this moment, right where you're seated, you just pray silently. God, even on the inside, God hears you. You just say this, Jesus, today I give you me. I ask you to come into my life and make me a new creation. I believe that your death on the cross forgives me of my sin, that you died and were in the grave and that you were raised to new life because you are God. And so today, Jesus, I give you me. Believers in the room, there's many of you here who are realizing today God's Holy Spirit has told you what it is. On the inside, you become very aware that you've been resting on a foundation that is sand. And God today is calling you back to the rock. And repentance means you just admit. You just admit, God, this is what I've been doing. That's all you do. You just admit, God, I admit that I've been trying to build on this. And instead, I'm coming back to you. That's what faithfulness is. Will you run back to him? Just right now, believers in the room, this is your decision of prayer. This is your decision moment. You pray to God and just say, right now in this moment, all over the room, people are praying. Admitting where they've been building and asking God to forgive them, and they choose, God, I choose to run back to you. Father, even right now, as you hear these prayers, we know that you are like the dad who's been waiting. You've been waiting to run with open arms and welcome your son, your daughter home. And so, God, we just rejoice in you that you are a loving and firm foundation. God, we want to build our church. We want to build your kingdom on earth, not our own kingdom. God, we love you. We praise you. We want to say we want to transfer our glory away from ourselves. God, we want it to be your glory from glory to glory. You are the unchanging God. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen. amen. I am a broken man my face buried in my hand, my vision made of shame, consumed in self, a memory remains of plans laid out like perfect pawns, like blueprints for a fool's abode constructed on the shifting sand. Now I've seen its rumbling crash, this fall of all I was into a crooked heap, Wandering in dust, I'm drawn as one who seeks the solid ground to this rock. I place my trembling hand here. 
on this face of unchanging stone, stone of hope. This boulder, uncreated, born of a virgin, scorned for my redemption. I reach out to touch the timeless promise, which makes dust to dust transform into glory to glory. Because this God, my Father, this Lord, my Savior, this almighty sanctifier is made of glory. Made of glory, though he stands unmade, though he makes of himself nothing, to save us who without him are less than nothing. I rest my hand on this unparalleled story of grace. My heart may shatter like ice in spring. My flesh may crumble like fall leaves, but know this, my God is the strength of my heart in every season. My God is my portion forever, the lover of my soul, the unbreakable broken one, the, the pierced hands that steady my own, the Lamb of God forevermore, my comforter and quiet, mighty counselor of heaven, my daily bread, the eternal word. I lift my hand to your name, O great I am. I stand on your foundation, O beginning and end. I sing your adoration, O God, a very God. I bring my all before you to call upon the impassable power of your unchanging grace. O Lord, O God Almighty, be glorified. Be glorified. Be glorified. podcast. For information on Sun Grove Church, visit our website at sungrove.org.